church. How's everyone doing this morning? Great. So good to see you. Oh, man, thank you to our worship team for just leading us into the presence of God this morning. Man, that was, uh, that was some good stuff, and it's so good just to be among the gathering of believers this morning. Uh, Daryl already mentioned it, but I hope you have plans to stay after for lunch for our cook-off and our bake-off. Y'all, I saw some of those desserts this morning. There may be more desserts than meat, but I'm okay with that, okay? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be good, um, even if you didn't bring anything. It doesn't matter. Even if you're home right now, you have time. You can join us at the end. Stay for lunch in the warehouse. we got some sides to go with it. It's going to be a great time of fellowship. If the weather, you know, cooperates, it won't. But if it does, there's a bounce house outside. We can be out in the back lot. It's going to be a great time. It's ready. Thank you, Juan. Appreciate you, brother. A slip and slide. There you go. Yeah, just, yeah, there are no liability or broken bones. It'll be fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> All right, I want to go ahead and dismiss our kids this morning for Revolution Kids. Miss Erica and Miss Kaylee are ready for you. You guys have a great time, and we'll see you back here in just a little bit. All right. So I know I've told you all, I talked to you all about our garden a lot and the fact that Matt and I like to garden. And I'm pretty sure I've shared with you before the first garden that we ever put in in the first house that we owned up in Florence. Um, we used to have these like traveling garden boxes that we would take stuff with us kind of as we went um, until we owned our first house in Florence and we could finally put in the garden like we always wanted. But that takes a lot of time if you've ever done that for the first time tilling up that grass, removing all of this rock. It was like when they constructed the neighborhood, they just like, you know, dumped everything in the next lot over and then kept moving down. And it, the amount of rock that had accumulated and all this just junk, it took hours and hours and days and days of Matt <laughs> tilling up this garden. And we had put it in the back corner in our backyard. Uh, and we had a fence on one side, of course, and then it was a privacy fence in the back know connecting to the neighbors directly behind us and I'll never forget the day <laughs> that after days of this Matt being out there putting in hours um, making a lot of noise with this tiller I'll never forget the day that that backyard neighbor across the privacy fence popped his head just barely over the top and he said what you building <laughs> <laughs> And it was just, oh, it cracked us up because we had never met these neighbors before. You know, we could hear them, but you could not see them. I mean, this was a really tall privacy fence. We could not see them. We didn't even know their names. We had just moved in, which was kind of a, a shame that we didn't know them because they had a pool. <laughs> they had a pool, y'all. That's why they had the privacy fence, right? And I was like, how can we get invited over here to this? So we had never met them. But it was so funny. I even think he might have been standing like up on a bucket or up on something to tiptoe up and peer over because he'd been hearing all this racket for days and days and wondering, what you building? <laughs> it was so sort of uh, funny. I could hear his daughter, his teenage daughter in the background, start making fun of him. Like, Dad, you're being weird, <laughs> making fun of him. And she made fun of him by saying this, howdy ho, neighbor. <laughs> Anyone know what that's in reference to? Wilson. She started making fun of him like dad. The neighbor from Home Improvement 
Tim, the tool man tailor, could always rely on his neighbor across the way to give him some piece of advice, some guidance. But the thing is, that's as much as you ever saw of him, right? And it kind of became like a running joke throughout the series that even when you saw Wilson outside of his backyard, you could, his face was always partially obscured, right? Like this mysterious figure that offered him like sage advice and words of wisdom and historical examples and little like, you know, one-liners he became known for. That if you remember, Tim Taylor would try to repeat back but always mess up. It was like this running gag. And he would greet the Taylor family every time by saying, howdy, yeah, yeah, howdy ho, neighbor. <laughs> and so my neighbor in my backyard in Florence, Kentucky, was making fun of her dad for being like Wilson and being sort of like, dad, you're being weird. <laughs> Up on this bucket, peering over into your neighbor's backyard, you stop. But isn't that how it usually goes? Like, you, you don't really get to know Wilson all that much. He, over the course of the series, offers advice to every single family member at, at some point in time. But him, we never really get to know. And I'm afraid that that's often how it is with our neighbors. Especially if, you know, you live in suburbia with a fenced-in backyard. We have neighbors that pull in their driveway and pull in their garage and shut the door before they even get out. <laughs> Like, very few opportunities to even see what these people look like, let alone have a conversation. So it feels like sometimes when I'm, like, the desperate one on the sidewalk, you know, like, playing with my kids and I talk to a neighbor, it feels like I'm, like, a Wilson. Like, it's awkward or creepy or, how you doing, you know? Because we have a tendency to keep to ourselves. We can live on the same block or in the same building or in the same complex and neighborhood for years and never really get to know our neighbors. Which is why in this series, I wanna talk about our neighbors. I wanna look at some scripture and what Jesus says about being a good neighbor. And I wanna think about our great city of Louisville. And I wanna ask ourselves, who are our neighbors? Who are our neighbors around us? And what does it mean to love our neighbors as ourselves. A pretty basic approach, y'all, but it's going to come with a challenge every week to challenge you to get to know your neighbors just a little bit better. And kind of the underlying question to take this farther, like love your neighbors as yourselves, but the underlying question being, can you really love your neighbors if you do not know them? Like, we think of it as this sort of this, like, whoever we pass by being kind of kind and decent, right? Or maybe helping them out once, but not really getting to know them or, like, you know, being vulnerable or kind of getting outside of our comfort zone. So the underlying question to go along with this is going to be, can we really, oh, look, can we really, what does it mean to love our neighbor? The next one, can we really love our neighbors if we do not know them? So we're going to start out this morning, Daryl guessed it, we're going to start out in the Gospel of Luke with the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now hang with me, okay, because I know in the Gospel of Luke especially, this story and then the story of the prodigal son are the two like most well-known stories of Scripture within the Gospel of Luke. Even if you are not a churchgoer or you haven't been all that much or you haven't been raised in church, like everybody knows this story because it's the core Christian truth. 
love your neighbor as yourself. Like, most people know that, right? Even if you don't consider yourself a Christian or follower of Jesus Christ. And so why start here? Why, why study this again? Is there any new word that we can hear from the parable of the Good Samaritan? Well, I hope so. <laughs> I, yes, I think, the, I think the answer is yes. The resounding yes I just heard from you all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I think there is. I think there is a new word that we can hear, and so that's going to be your first challenge this morning is try, I know it's hard, but try to hear it with fresh ears. I'm going to read the story for you next, and I want you to see if, if a new detail pops out to you differently, if you hear something, if you notice something that you hadn't before. Even close your eyes. Just promise you don't fall asleep, right? Close your eyes as you hear the word of the Lord spoken over you and imagine the story. Where do you find yourself in it? What character do you resonate with? Maybe you feel like the guy in the pit left for dead right now. Or maybe you feel like the one that you're just going to keep on going. You got so much to do. I can't. I just, I, I'm at capacity. I can't. I can't do anymore. Or maybe you found yourself in a season where you are the neighbor, like the Samaritan, who stops. Now we're going to unpack it just a little bit, some things that we know. That's my setup. See if you can hear this story with fresh ears. Are you ready? Yes! Oh, there we go. Okay. Luke 10. This is Luke 10, verses 25 through 28. Hear now the word of the Lord. And behold... A lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So what are some things that we know right off the bat about this story. It's a familiar passage, I know, but what are some things that we know? The first is that the lawyer here is asking Jesus a genuine question. 
who is my neighbor? I know, I'm sorry, Mike. It's the lawyer, right? It's the lawyer who's like, you know, we, you often hear it read, the lawyer was trying to trap Jesus or he was trying to put Jesus to the test or he was trying to justify himself. That is what is said. It's kind of interpreted to be sort of like casting the, the lawyer in this harsh light. But he refers to Jesus as teacher. He addresses him with that title, which is a show of respect says, okay, but teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is the same question that the rich young man asked in the gospel of Luke. And the answer is the same. But Jesus, knowing the lawyer, says, well, you know the law. How do you interpret it? Again, in this sort of discourse of, of this sort of respectful conversation of your interpreting and discussing the scriptures together, and the lawyer knew the law, right? He answered the question correctly. He quoted from both Deuteronomy and Leviticus and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself. I imagine the lawyer maybe had a good idea of what it meant to love with all your heart, with all your soul, strength, especially mind, right? Like this is someone who knows the law really well. He's seeking now to ask Jesus a clarifying question. This is a genuine question. But who is my neighbor? Like, who counts? Is it just my family? Is it, is it people who are, who are physically, uh, you know, talking about like physical proximity? The people just in my orbit? Is it my social proximity? Is it the people who, who think like me and, and act like me and work with me and... and really in my orbit? Like, who is my neighbor? How can I know that I'm loving my neighbor well? The genuine question that he asks Jesus. Because how do you inherit the kingdom of God, right? The eternal life. This is, this is it. This is everything. This is important. Follow-up questions are welcome, <laughs> right? This is a genuine question the lawyer is asking. That's the first thing that we know. How can we be sure, how can he be sure that he is caring, that he is caring for his neighbors properly? This is something he should know, like I said, because he knows the law. This is a theme throughout all of Torah, that a relationship with God must extend out toward your neighbor. You can see this all throughout the Old Testament and Torah. It should impact how you care for the widow and the orphan and the stranger and the alien in your midst. He's read these things, and now he's seeking follow-up. He's asking a genuine question. Okay, now the second thing we know about this story is that the Samaritan is the hero. I don't know if we can truly appreciate just how shocking and scandalizing this would be for the, for the listeners who were Israelite, right, who were Jewish. The Samaritan is the hero of this story. It's the most shocking thing about the parable. In fact, there's this storytelling tradition in the ancient world where if you're like, you're, you know, the moral of the story is, and when you're, we're teaching and you're giving someone examples of how to model your life and, and what to do, it's well known that the third example you give 
is going to be the hero. It's going to be the one to model after. Okay, so imagine you listening to this, listening to Jesus teach, and he's saying, well, first the priest. And they're going, first the priest? He's the one that should do right. He, he's the one who should, you know, enact the law and live and, and first the priest, and then the Levite, which is from a priestly tradition. You know, anyone a part of that tribe would also have known the law very well. So imagine then hearing the third person, the third example, who you're supposed to model your life after, and all Jesus says is, but the Samaritan. I mean, outrage, shock. We just finished a teaching series on Encanto. Right? So it would have been like that moment when they're going to look at the vision again and all of the answers to how she will save the magic are about to appear and she's embracing someone and Mirabelle and Bruno are going, who is it? Who is it? And it's her sister that she hates, her enemy. It's Isabella. I love that part, by the way. She's outraged. What? That's how shock, even more shocking it would have been. But the Samaritan is the hero of the story. And why, why are they enemies? Some of us might know this. It's not so much about just like ethnic differences and different people groups and that they lived and they were neighbors, but they avoided each other. This goes way, way back in the history of Israel, like before the exile. Samaritans believed that they followed the God of Israel, but they worshiped in different places. Their center of worship wasn't Jerusalem. And that was a major, major issue for the other, you know, sort of Jewish people who thought the only center of worship where they built the temple should be Jerusalem. So they're sort of distant relatives. The Samaritans are descendants of the northern tribes of Israel prior to the Babylonian exile. And they believe they have the true religion. And then these are descendants of the tribe of Judah, the southern kingdom, and they believe that they have the true religion. And they worship the same God in different places. According to the Samaritans, it's the Mount Gerizim in the north related to where Joshua entered Canaan. And according to the Israelites, the, the descendants of Judah, the southern kingdom, it should be Jerusalem, the mount where the temple is built. So these two people, they, they fought, right? They, they battled, they retaliated, they, they hated each other, and it got to the point that they just didn't interact with each other at all. The Jews of the day would have considered Samaritans unclean, unwelcome, religiously offensive. They hated each other. This was the higher and better way, so they even avoided, I mean, like, the region of Samaria, they would travel days and days and days and days on a longer road just so they didn't have to cross through their territory. Because the Orthodox Jews considered them heretical and also ceremonially unclean. There's a story in Luke chapter 9, right before we get to this parable, okay, where the disciples are traveling with Jesus, just, to, just so you understand how deep this hate runs. The disciples are traveling with Jesus, and they get to a Samaritan village, and they don't show Jesus hospitality. This is a big deal in ancient culture. Hospitality is a way of life. Like, you are expected to put someone up somewhere if they come in need to your village. 
And the Samaritans do not welcome Jesus and the disciples. And so the disciples ask Jesus, verse 53, but the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. He's going to Jerusalem. We're enemies. And when the disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? (laughs) Yes, they did. (laughs) They did want that. They did. How often do we want to pray that prayer over our enemies to Jesus? Can you just have fire rain down from heaven and consume them? But Jesus rebuked them. And they went on to another village. And less than 10 verses later, he's talking to these same disciples going, but the Samaritan (laughs) is the moral exemplar here. The Samaritan, the one that you hate, is the neighbor here. Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. I had it in my notes, Bob. I missed it. I was going to say the Jews and the Samaritans are sworn enemies. (laughs) If you ever play cards with Bob, he will tell you, you are my sworn enemy. They are sworn enemies, y'all. That's the second thing that we know. Is that the Samaritan is the hero of this story. Now, throughout different interpretations of this, if if you've read about this before, you know that there are all kinds of reasons that we come up with to kind of like defend or understand why the Levite and the priest do what they do right? Listen, I'm a religious leader, authority. I want to defend that priest as much as I can of why he did what he did. You might have heard it said, well, if he was headed to Jerusalem, he had religious duties to fulfill. And and being near the Samaritan, touching the Samaritan, would have made him unclean, like ritually unclean. And he had a job to do once he got to Jerusalem. And it would have taken days for him to go through the process of, like, purifying and cleansing himself. So it's understandable. Same for the Levite. If he had a job to do, if he had had duties to do once he got there, you know, maybe they thought he was already dead. And so not only, not so much that he was a Samaritan, but that it would have been a dead person. And you also would have been ritually unclean if you touched this dead person, Right? Another thing you might hear is that this road from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's a dangerous path. It's a really dangerous path. If you go, like, start in Jerusalem, it's like 1,200 feet above sea level. Yeah, wow. In Jerusalem, and then all the way down to 2,200 feet below sea level in Jericho, just a few miles, you know, several miles down the way. So you're you're talking it's, it's winding, it's meandering, uh, it's a conducive for ambushes. Robbers and bandits would have been very, very just common on this road. You would have almost expected it. So maybe the priest and the Levite saw this man half dead, and they thought, this could be a trap. If I go down there, the same robbers might get me. Or this could be a trap, and he's going to get me. Like He wants me to go down that dangerous path. In a sermon that Martin Luther King Jr. preached on on this passage of Scripture, he said that this road was so dangerous in the days of Jesus, it came to be known as the bloody pass. It's like this isn't, there's, there's a lot going on here, right? The priest and Levite maybe have a lot going on. 
but it's Jewish scholar Amy Jo Levine that challenged us. Nobody gives the priest or the Levite an excuse. Man, I really want the Levite to have something. The priest to have some excuse. She says, no excuse would be acceptable. They had the Torah. They knew the calls to care for those in trouble. They had their own go and do likewise. But for whatever reason, they passed the man by. Whatever excuse they had wasn't good enough. So I wonder what, what does make the Samaritan different? Okay, obvious question. Doy Rachel, he actually stops and, and helps the man. But what does the scripture tell us? What, what sets him apart? What makes him different from the priest and the Levite? This is the main difference. The Samaritan saw the man, and the scripture says that he was moved with compassion. It said, and he had compassion. That Greek word right there that I'm not even going to attempt, y'all. Y'all know. I'm not even. That Greek, right there on screen, that Greek word, it shows up three times in the Gospel of Luke. Good job. You got some explaining to do. Thank you, Daryl. You know what? Listen, you say it with confidence. Y'all believe anything, right? Any pronunciation. There you go. This Greek word shows up three times in the Gospel of Luke. Once here. Once, referring to Jesus, when he has compassion on the widow from Nain. Do y'all remember her, the widow, in, in chapter 7? Her son dies, her only son. She's a widow. Her only son dies. She's devastated. And Jesus sees her, and it says he's moved with compassion. And he raises her son from the dead. The third time is in the prodigal son story of the prodigal son when the father sees his son coming back home from a long way off and it says and he's moved to compassion this word and he runs to him and y'all know in that story the father is like God right it's a metaphor for God in our spiritual lives He's acting as a divine agent, being moved with compassion for his son. Jesus is a divine agent of God, moved with compassion. Do y'all know what Jesus is doing here? He's painting the Samaritan as a divine agent, being moved with the compassion of God to help his neighbor. He's just like driving this in deeper. <laughs> being moved with the same compassion of God. What Jesus is doing here is redefining what it means to be a neighbor. He's defining for them what it means to be a neighbor, not in terms of race or religion or ethnicity or where you live or what region you like to avoid, but he's telling a story that defines being a neighbor in terms of of vulnerability, that is, whoever has a need. Your neighbor is anyone, anyone who has a need. As a biblical commentator, David Laos says, God expects us not only to care for our neighbor, but to see as a neighbor anyone who is in need. 
In many ways, that's the issue at hand here. The priest and Levite don't see the man in the ditch as a neighbor, but as a burden, as something that will delay them from accomplishing whatever task or duty has put them on this road in the first place. The Samaritan, however, wherever he may be going or whatever time pressure he may feel, sees this man in need as a person, as a child of God, as someone who inherently deserves his time and attention. He sees the man, and he's moved with compassion. In that sermon uh, in April, I want to say 1968, in the Martin Luther King Jr., he says this, the first question that the priest asked, the first question that the Levi asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then the good Samaritan came by and he reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? And maybe even a third question, if I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to me? Jesus closes the story by saying, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Like when we hear this story, we're like, who is the neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Well, it's the man in the ditch. We're supposed to help him. That's the neighbor, anyone who has a need, and that's true. But Jesus ends the teaching by saying, who in the story acted like a neighbor? Samaritan, the one who showed mercy, the one who was moved to compassion. Jesus says, go and do likewise. So in a spirit of going and doing this week, here's your challenge, and I'm going to have one every week. We're going to start small. This week, I just want you to get to know your neighbors. Because here's the problem. How can we be moved to compassion if we don't even know our neighbor's need? How can we be moved to compassion to love them as ourselves if we don't even know what they need or what they're struggling with or what their story is or if they have pain? And I'm not saying every need is the call. I'm not saying that you should, like, you know, ring your neighbor's doorbell and ask them, what's your deepest need in life? <laughs> Like, don't be like, don't be creepy, like my neighbor on the bucket. What you building? Need anything? Right? I'm not saying that. I'm saying start small. Get to know their name. Be a good neighbor. Be the person that you can come to and borrow an egg. Like, do people still do that? It happened in my neighborhood up in northern Kentucky, and I was here for it. I was loving it. And my sweet husband from western Kentucky who knows everybody everywhere and never locked his door and just, like, kept his garage door open all the time so that if people needed something, they just, like, pulled up, got it, and left because he knew everybody, right? Meet me from Louisville, suburbia. You don't know all your neighbors like that. And so you go and you ask someone you may not know if you can borrow something. The first time I had Matt do that, he was like, what? <laughs> This is not correct. <laughs> be a good neighbor. Learn their name. Be the one that gets the mail when they go out of town. See them. Hear their stories. Ask them how they're doing. 
See what kind of relationship develops. You've got to start somewhere. How can we be moved to compassion if we don't even know them? You don't have to raise your hand, but if you're that neighbor that pulls into your garage and shuts the door before you get out of the car, <laughs> don't do that. Ben, <laughs> he raised his hand. Ben, <laughs> neighbor right across the way does that. See them, hear their stories, see what kind of relationship develops. Pray over the next couple of weeks. Ask yourselves, can I really love them as myself? Now stay with me, okay, because in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be exploring our neighbor is anyone in need. That's the setup for the whole series. And we're going to be looking at our communities and the city of Louisville and asking who is our neighbor. What I'm asking you to do right now is start where you are. Start in your Jerusalem at home. And get to know those people right there. Sound good? A resounding yes. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this day and just for the, the joy that it is to gather in community and to hear from your word. God, thank you that the word of God is living and breathing and active and it, it speaks to us in different seasons in different ways. And God, as we return to scriptures in this series, ones that are familiar, ones that we think we know, ones that we think we have a lock on. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come upon us and convict us and, and ask us, do we really love our neighbors as ourselves? Have we really been perfected in love in that way? Search us and know us and see if there would be any ways that we might be challenged in big and small ways to get to know our neighbors just a little bit better. Give us opportunities and give us eyes to see and give us hearts that might be moved with compassion. Because this, O oh Lord, is the core of your law, to love, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And in those moments that may feel uncomfortable or awkward or scary, would you remind us that the Holy Spirit goes before us and with us and that we have nothing to be afraid of. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior.